Good morning. Um, this is chapter 13. Why the Spirit? John fourteen sixteen. I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper. This is a book about Christ, the Son, the second person of the Trinity. But we must be careful not to give the impression that what we are seeing in Christ somehow out of step with the Spirit and the Father. Rather, the Son, being manifest in the flesh, expresses and utters but what was in the heart of all the three. So we will give a chapter to each, asking what the Bible teaches about how the heart of Christ relates to the Spirit and then to the Father. We'll take the Spirit in this chapter and the Father in the next. What is the role of the Holy Spirit? What does he actually do? There are many valid biblical answers to that question. The Spirit regenerates us, convicts us, empowers us with gifts, testifies in our hearts that we are God's children, leads us, makes us fruitful, grants and nurtures us, Oh, grants and nurtures us in resurrection life and able, enables us to kill sin, intercedes for us when we don't know what to pray, guides us into truth, transforms us into the image of Christ. Mm. I want that spirit, eh? These are all gloriously true. In this chapter, I'd like to add just one more to this list. The Spirit causes us to actually feel Christ's heart for us. This overlaps a bit with a few of the operations of the Spirit listed above, but it would be useful to make clear exactly how the Holy Spirit connects to this study of the heart of Jesus. And what I propose in this deeper, once more with him, and what I propose in this chapter, once more with help from Thomas Goodman, is that the cat just jumped up in the hammock right on top of my book. Hey, Ollie. Hi. Cats always do that whenever I'm reading something or journaling. They just come, like, sit down on my book. Like, I know it's taking my attention away from them. Okay. And what I propose in this chapter, once more with the help from Thomas Goodwin, is that the Spirit makes the heart of Christ feel or real to us, not just heard, not, but seen, not just seen, but felt, not just felt, but enjoyed. The Spirit takes what we read in the Bible and believe on paper about Jesus' heart and moves it from theory to reality, from doctrine to experience. It is one thing as a child to be told your father loves you. You believe him. You take him at his word. But it is another thing, unutterably more real, to be swept up in his embrace, to feel the warmth, to hear his heart beating within his chest, to instantly know the protective grip of his arms. 
It's one thing to hear he loves you. It's another thing to feel his love. This is the glorious work of the Spirit. In John 14 to 16, Jesus explains the work of the Spirit as an extension of his own work. He says that the time in which he himself has left, but the Spirit has come, is a superior blessing to his people. Notice carefully the flow of thought in John 16 as Jesus makes this point. Jesus speaking here. But now I am going to him who sent me, and none of you asks me, where are you going? But because I have said these things, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is so, or it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I did not go, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. What is the advantage of the Spirit coming? The natural reading is that he will rectify something that was wrong. And what is wrong? Sorrow has filled your heart. Apparently, the coming of the Spirit will do the opposite. Fill their hearts with joy. The Spirit replaces sorrow with joy. That's cool to think about. As it talks about in the end times, that there will be an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. I'm so excited for that. The disciples were sorrowful because Jesus was leaving them. He had befriended them and embraced them into his heart. So they thought that Jesus leaving meant Jesus' heart leaving. But the Spirit is the answer to how Jesus can leave them bodily while leaving his heart behind. The Spirit. I know why I'm yawning so much. The Spirit is the continuation of the heart of Christ for his people after the departure of Jesus to heaven. Reflecting on this passage in John 16, Goodwin presses into the marrow of what Jesus is saying to his disciples. My Father and I have but only one friend who lies in the bosom of us both and proceeds from us both, the Holy Ghost, and in the meantime I will send him to you. He shall be a better comforter unto you than I am able to be. He will comfort you better than I should do with my bodily presence. In what way is the Spirit a superior comforter to God's people? He shall tell you, if you will listen to him and not grieve him, nothing but stories of my love. All his speech in your heart will be to advance me and to greaten my worth and love unto you, and it will be his delight to do it. So that you shall have my heart as surely and as speedily as if I were with you, and he will be continually breaking your hearts, either with my love to you or yours to me or both. He will tell you 
when I am in heaven, that there is as true a conjunction between me and you, and as true a dearness of affection in me toward you, as is between my father and me, and that it is as impossible to break this knot as to take off my heart from you, as my father's from me. Have you considered this particular operation of the Holy Spirit? Remember, the Spirit is a person. He can be grieved, for example, in Isaiah 63.10 and Ephesians 4.30. What would it look like to treat him as such in our actual lives? Oh. To actually treat the Holy Spirit as a person in our lives that can be like, saddened by what we do. What might it look like to open up the vents of our hearts to receive the felt love of Christ as fanned into warm flame by the Holy Spirit? We bear in mind here that the Spirit will never fan the flames of the felt love of Christ beyond the degree to which Christ actually loves us. That is impossible. The Spirit simply causes our apprehension of Christ's heartful love to soar closer to what it actually is. One does not worry that binoculars are going to make the ball game look larger than it really is from seats in the upper deck. The binoculars simply make the players appear closer to their actual size. Jesus said that he is gentle and lowly in heart. That is a beautiful s statement, and even without the Spirit, one could respect and even marvel at it. But the Spirit takes those words of Christ's and interiorizes them at the level of personal individuality. The Spirit turns the recipe into actual taste. That is what Goodwin is saying. All that we see and hear of the gracious heart of Jesus in his earthly life will, during his ascended state, enter into the consciousness of his people as experiential reality. When Paul gets personal in Galatians and speaks of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me, he is saying something that, that no one could say apart from the Spirit. That is why, in another place, Paul says that we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given to us by God. To grasp the role of the Holy Spirit, according to this text, we must bear in mind that the Greek word underlying understood should not be restricted to merely intellectual apprehension. This verb simply means to know, to understand is to know. And as is generally the case with the Bible's language, knowing here is something holistic, not less than intellectual apprehension, but more. It is experiential knowing, the way you know the sun is warm when you stand with your face raised to the sky on a cloudless day. Paul is saying that the Spirit has been given to us in order that we might know way deep down by experience 
the endless grace of the heart of God. Freely given in this text is simply the verb form of the common Greek word for grace. Hmm. So it's been given by grace. The Spirit loves nothing more than to awaken and calm and soothe us with the heart knowledge of what we have been graced with. The Spirit's role in summary is to turn our postcard apprehensions of Christ's great heart of longing affection for us into an experience of sitting on the beach in a long chair, drink in hand, enjoying the actual experience. The Spirit does this decisively, once and for all, at regeneration. But he does it 10,000 times after, as we continue through sin, folly, or boredom to drift from the felt experience of the, his heart. Hmm. That was a little complicated language sometimes, but basically saying that the Holy Spirit is what causes us to have the experience and feel Christ's heart. I think that was the main point. Yeah, when I think about that, like, just since, just since I came back to Jesus, the opportunities that God's given me and like, the people that I'm having conversations with and seeing who are like also obviously having their hearts pulled by the Holy Spirit. It's so exciting. It's like, yeah, and then I'll just be, you know, walking around, just like living life and, and then I feel like God's opening different, different, things like opening my spiritual eyes to things and um, just like randomly we'll get like a revelation of something like understanding of the Bible or a insight into like the contradictions in the new age philosophy you know like Something that came to me the other day was how in the, the New Age, you know, they always talk about, like, forgiving yourself. Um, like in this, you know, kind of circle of people, it's like, you need to forgive yourself. Like, that's a big part of your evolution and your healing is, like, to forgive yourself. But then they also believe in this non-dualistic worldview that nothing is right or wrong, that there's no, like, good and evil doesn't exist. Like, the darkness is part of the light, and the light is part of the darkness. So I just, like, realized, like, well, wait, if you're saying, like, evil doesn't exist, like, wrong doesn't exist, then what, are you, then what do you even have to forgive yourself for? What do you have to forgive yourself for if, if wrong doesn't exist, you know? And then also, like, 
Who gave you the authority to forgive yourself for a wrong that you committed against another person? Or even worse, a wrong that you committed against a holy God? You know, just things like that are coming to mind. Contradictions and I just feel like my eyes are, it's cool. And I see it happening with other people too. Okay, I love you. I hope you have an amazing day.